I hope everybody's had a good week. Um, I hope you're coming in here and uh, with open hearts and open minds. Um, I ask you how you're doing. Everybody says good, and, and I know that's kind of the thing you say, right? It's just what you say. I'm doing good. But, but at the end of the day, I, don't, I would look at a room like this and say, not everybody in here is doing good. Some of you probably are. Some of you may be doing great. But others, may, maybe you're not, you're not doing good. Maybe you're not doing great. Maybe you're not, you're just okay. Maybe you barely got here today. Um, if you're watching online, you may, you may just, you're just barely here. And that's okay, okay? That's all right. Um, because what, what we're going to look at today is, is, I hope, a comfort to you, um, hope a comfort to all of us. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Heath Harrell. I am one of your deacons uh, here at the refuge. I always appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to stand in for the elders. I appreciate it when they give me the opportunity to share with you. Um, I did ask them this week, I asked them, when did we start Genesis? Uh, because I thought it was pretty interesting where we are. Uh, we started Genesis on September 8th, 2019, okay? And for us to be landing in Genesis chapter 37 on Palm Sunday and into Easter, it was phenomenal planning on their part. I, uh, I, I really, I'm impressed that they, uh, that they were able to plan that far ahead. But in all seriousness, it's amazing how God landed us where we are through, what is that, a year and a half? It's 18 months it's amazing when you really stop and think about it and you look at Joseph's life and what we're going to talk about here today, um, it, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, I, I just was in awe of that this week as I was studying. Um, so uh, before we get started any further, I do have another question for you. So uh, the question is this, so show of hands, how many of you have a perfect life with a perfect family? All right, okay, Juju, I see you, all right. Um, how many of you have a life and a family that's maybe a little bit messed up? Go ahead. My, my whole family's back here today. Um, it's the first time that I, th I think it's the first time that all my kids have been here to watch me preach, which is pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, so um, I would say that we've all dealt with ups and downs in life, right? We've dealt with trials. Some of us may be in the midst of a trial right now. Um, a good percentage of us are either going through, just went through, or about to go through some stuff, if you will. The reality is that life is not easy, and our families are kind of messed up. And here's the reality, or here's the reason for that. It's impossible to live in this world and not be affected by someone else's sin. It's impossible to live in this world and not be hurt by someone else's sin. And a lot of times it's the people that are closest to us because we're, we're all sinners. I want to remind you of a couple things before we get into the scripture and read the passage we look at Jacob and his messed up family. Um, the first thing is something that uh, Pastor Scott mentioned to us back in January. God's work goes on amidst our human failure. God uses sinful, messed up people to accomplish his purpose. Now, why is that? Because we're all he's got. We're all he's got to work with. 
Just like he used sinful Jacob and Jacob's messed up family, he uses people like you and me to accomplish his purpose. The second thing I want to remind us of this morning is that God is sovereign. So when I look at the word sovereign, I, I, you hear that word. So I, I looked it up. I wanted to get a kind of a better feel. So in the, in the dictionary, the word sovereign uh, means this. It says, the highest in power or authority, having supreme rank, utmost, extreme, I like this one, indisputable, unable to be challenged or denied. So we look at the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God can be described in, in, in this way. God's sovereign control, everything that happens, happens according to his plan. And nothing will prevent him from accomplishing his plan. I spoke with um, a friend. I asked, actually, you, most of you know him. I, I asked uh, JP this week. I said, JP, um, if I would have come to you this time last year and said, you know, God is in control with everything that he was going through, I said, would that ha how would you have handled that? And he, what he said to me, I, th I thought was awesome. He said, man, there's a lot of comfort in that. He said, actually, we talked about that and we sought comfort in that. Slides are not doing what I thought they would. Okay, the next thing is God's uh, sovereign authority. What the Lord commands, his creatures must do. God's sovereign presence. His presence is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to say this. Whatever you're going through, I'm through God sees you, he hears you, he loves you, and he has a plan for you. Let's bow our heads real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for who you are, Lord. We thank you uh, for all that you've done, all that you represent, Lord, for sending your son, Lord. We ask that the Holy Spirit fall on this place this morning. Lord, open hearts and minds, uh, Father, that... Uh, that my words would simply just be your words. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, Bible trivia. One more question before we start the passage. How many kids did Jacob or Israel have? Twelve. Who said twelve? Has anybody got any other answers? Thirteen. Thirteen's right. He had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, but they had a sister named Dinah, right? Okay, so there you go. There's your Bible trivia for the morning. They used to do that on Kicks 106. Who remembers that? Side note, Bible trivia. Michelle and I won an awesome trip because she answered that one morning. Thanks to Mackenzie who gave her the answer. So anyway. <laughs> All right, Genesis chapter 37. We'll start in verse one. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons 
because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And when he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is, it, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So last week we looked at Esau's family in chapter 36, and this week uh, we'll transition over and we will start to look at Jacob's family, the generations of Jacob's family. I thought about saying Jacob's messed up family because it really was a bit of a messed up family, if, if you're going to be honest. If you look at Jacob, um, he was a bit of a mess. He had deceived his brother, um, deceived his father, and, and, and then stole from his brother, um, fled to live with his uncle. His uncle deceived him. He deceived his uncle, married his cousin, married his other cousin, married their servants, had 13 kids. So it's a bit of a mess, right? And we just looked at what, what in Genesis 35 of how, his, uh, how Jacob's sons had handled the assault of their sister, which was, it's crazy. They killed every man in the village for it. Um, so things were far, far from perfect in Jacob's camp. But we got to remember through all of that and through all of what Jacob had gone through that God was in control and that God was going to accomplish his plan. God was using Jacob and his family to accomplish his purpose. So I want to back up. We're going to look at two passages in Genesis that um, lead up to today. We're going to go back to Genesis 12 first. Uh, Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. I'll, I'm going to back up start in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make, a, make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So God had chosen Abram for his purpose that he would become and make a great nation out of Abram and his family. So God made Abram a promise. God keeps his promises. This was the beginning of the people of Israel. So we go forward just a little bit more and we look in Genesis chapter 15. We'll look at verse 13. It says, then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. 
But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And verse 16 says, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God's covenant with Abram would manifest through Isaac and then through Jacob and then further through the 12 tribes of Israel or Jacob's 12 sons. And then he predicts or he he, he tells Abram in chapter 15 that there are going to be 400 years of affliction. So as we move into Genesis 37, we're approaching this 400 years, and the table is being set for the 400 years of affliction. We've transitioned from Esau's descendants in the land of Seir, and now we're in the generation, at Jacob's generations in the land of Canaan. We're going to begin and look at the remarkable life of Joseph this week. We'll spend the next 13 chapters of Genesis looking at God work through the life of Jacob and his sons, but specifically through Joseph's life. God is forming a nation with Joseph being the central figure. So another question. When I say Joseph, mention Joseph in the Bible, what do you think? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Say it, Katie. Coat of many colors. All right, everybody agree? And this is the image that you get. Is that, I mean, as I was getting ready, I was thinking about this. This is the image that you get, right? You get this children's storybook version of Joseph, okay? I asked Michelle yesterday... I said, when I say Joseph, what do you think of the Bible? And she immediately went in to Dolly Parton's version of the Coat of Many Colors. And she sang the song. She's got, she knows it. She sang it pretty good to me. And, and I wanted that to be my intro today, but for reasons out of my control, we could not do that. <laughs> but as we look at Joseph's life, I need you to think of Joseph as being more than that little boy in that coat. Because that's where our minds go. Quite frankly, until I really studied, it's kind of where my mind went. You're growing up, you, you know, it's what you're taught as a kid in church. But when you really look at Joseph's life, it's amazing how many parallels there are from Joseph's life, the beloved son of Jacob, to Jesus Christ, the beloved son of God. It's amazing. So verse 1 provided us a transition. We transitioned from Esau to Jacob. Um, we look at verse 2, and, and it says Joseph being 17 years old, so he obviously was not the little boy in the coat. He was an adolescent, a young man, um, and he was pasturing a flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, the, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So Joseph, we see here, is different from his brothers. First of all, he's quite a bit younger than his brothers. Um, At 17, his brothers were were several years older than him. And his brothers were evil. I mean, we saw what they did. Um, Joseph is not evil. So you've got this difference here. And Joseph 
brings this bad report back to Jacob. And, and when I was looking, I even saw people call that like a tattletale. And, and you know, well, Joseph told on his brothers. But that, that is not the case. That is not what's going on. And that's the wrong perception uh, to give. You think about it from this perspective. Joseph was just simply telling the truth. Joseph was a truth teller. Now, his actions weren't popular with his brothers, and he alienated himself from them. But his actions, they show that Joseph's behavior is more righteous than anything, and and that Joseph really doesn't have time for nonsense. He was, yes, disclosing the evil of his brothers, but that was what he was there to do. He was there to give a report of how they were doing and, and how the fields were being managed. It just was one of the reasons that they hated him because he was just giving the report. Hey, dad, here's what's going on. You see, Jesus came to this world to disclose the evil that's in the world. And that's why the world hates Jesus. That's why he's rejected. We move to verse three. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other son of his other sons, because he was a son in his, of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So it's true, Jacob favors Joseph, the son of his old age, and this was probably indicative of the fact, yes, that, that Jacob was not his youngest son, but he was his first son to Rachel, his beloved wife, and he was Um, a younger son. He was a son of of Jacob's older years. But it's also indicative of the fact that Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph showed exceptional maturity. He was probably the one who cared for Jacob. Jacob recognized the righteousness and the leadership in Joseph. So Jacob gives Joseph a robe, a tunic is what what some translations will say, say. And it shows the affection that Jacob has toward Joseph. It was ornate. This robe would have had long sleeves. It would have gone all the way to the ground. Okay, so this was, was different than your modern-day field working attire. It's like when the boss shows up in a three-piece suit on the job site and everybody else is in their, their regular work clothes, their Carhartt work pants. So it was symbolic because it was not something that you worked in. It was more ornate, and it was given to Joseph by his father. His brothers would have been in tunics that were working-class tunics, short, short sleeves, and they were working. You see, Joseph had been chosen by Jacob to watch over his brothers, even though he was younger. This was a a sign of distinction. It was a, a sign that Joseph was different. So Joseph was favored, yes, we'll admit that. But does this mean that that Jacob did not love his other sons? No. Joseph was sent by his father, not only to watch over, but to minister to his other sons. If if Joseph is the righteous one, and Joseph is, is righteous, and these other sons are evil, would you not want, hopefully, an influence on your evil children to lead them the right way? So Joseph was sent by his father to minister to his sons, just like Jesus was sent by his father to minister to a lost world. Is Jesus the favored son of God? Absolutely. 
Yes. But God so loved the world. God so loved each one of us that he sent Jesus to this world to live a sinless life. He sent Jesus to die on that cross in our place. Joseph's brothers were not good people. They just weren't. It says in verse four, they hated Joseph. They could not speak peacefully to him. They were jealous. Jealousy leads to division. They looked at Joseph. They saw the robe. I'm sure they were confronted by their father after the bad report. And his brothers could have seen Joseph for the good and righteous person that he was, but instead, they chose to alienate him further. They could have aspired to be like Joseph. They could have aspired to do right instead of wrong. Instead, they despised Joseph for who he was. They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. We look at the life of Jesus, the example that he was. You look at his example in his life, and you can accept him, or you can reject him. We look at first, first Peter, verse, or excuse me, chapter two. It says this in verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you, as an ex- leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither deceit was found in his mouth. He committed no sin. So did you know this? In the Bible, there's no recorded sin that Joseph committed. There's more space in the Bible, 13 chapters dedicated to the life of Joseph than any other patriarch in the Bible. And there is not mention of one sin. Doesn't mean that he didn't commit a sin because we've all sinned. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but it just shows how strong Joseph's faith was. He had a triumphant faith. Joseph was an example. So we continue in verse five. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed going to reign over us? Are you indeed going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So Joseph shares his first dream. And his brothers are not real happy to hear about this. You see, the anger and the hatred towards Joseph has now come to another level. Verse 8, we see that they hated him even more. We get to verse 11, it says they were jealous of him. Now, the obvious point of these two dreams was that Joseph was elevated above his brothers, and in the second dream, he's even elevated not only above above his brothers, but above his father and his mother as well. 
It says that Jacob rebukes Joseph, but at the same time, he kept the saying in mind. So while his initial reaction was to rebuke Joseph, it's important to note that he kept the saying in mind. It was wise enough to understand that there was something extraordinary about those two dreams and about the fact that the dream was doubled. So some may ask, why would Joseph even tell them about the dreams? I mean, you told him about the first one. Why would you, why would you tell him about the second one too? Come on, they, they don't like you. It's like, bro, can't you tell? I think Joseph was naive. You know, I don't believe there's animosity that Joseph had by telling these dreams. There's no proof that Joseph had ill, Ill intentions. His brothers were arrogant and full of pride. Of course, these dreams were only fueling this fire that they had towards him. But let me ask you this. Have you ever seen this happen or maybe it's happened to you? See, many times in life, people will threaten others without even knowing that they have threatened someone. You may offend somebody, hurt somebody. You don't even know you've done it. Joseph was the younger brother, and the older brothers were not going to let him have dominion over them. In the Old Testament, it had been written and taught years before Jesus arrived. The Old Testament points to the Messiah. The Old Testament was written and, and there before Jesus The Jews had studied the Old Testament. They'd studied the the books of the Bible, the Bible. And when Messiah arrives, he's ultimately rejected. We read earlier in in Matthew 28, or excuse me, 21, about how we see Jesus enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And they're shouting, Hosanna. They're laying the palm leaves down. They're welcoming him. But if you go further, you get to verse 23. It says, when Jesus entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? He was on the verge of being rejected by everybody who had just welcomed him and praised him by shouting Hosanna. The crowds and the people were astonished by Jesus. You go back in Matthew 7, 28, 29, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as one of their scribes. The chief priest and the elders were threatened by Jesus. Instead of rejoicing in the fact that their long-awaited Messiah had come, they were too caught up in, a losing, in losing their authority, losing wealth. Joseph's brothers had rightly interpreted the dreams. They, they, they interpreted those dreams correctly. We'll see as we continue to study in Genesis. But they resented that interpretation. As we're going to see further, they're going to go to extreme measures and commit crimes in order to defeat those dreams of Joseph, right? In reality, they're just going to be the instruments that are used to accomplish God's plan. 
the Jews understood what Christ said of his kingdom. But they were determined that he was not going to reign over them. They they consulted to put him to death, but through this crucifixion, through his crucifixion, they're actually the instruments in accomplishing God's plan. I read this from John Piper. It says, God takes the very sins of the destroyers and makes them the means of the destroyer's deliverance. What do we learn from all of this? Through the family of Jacob, from Joseph, from his brothers, from these two dreams, what do we take away from that? See, through it all, God is sovereign. He is in control, and he is working through sinners like you and me every day to accomplish his purpose. I asked you when you started, I asked how you were doing. So I asked you again, how are you doing spiritually this morning? How are you in your walk? Have you entered your walk with Christ? Where are you? See, as the Christian, I need, as Christians, I need you to understand that wherever you are and whatever you're going through, you're not alone. Jesus is always with you, and he's been with you the whole time. If you're watching or if you're sitting in here this morning, and if you're not a Christian, you haven't made the decision to follow Christ, I need you to understand this that he is right there and he's waiting. He's waiting on you to repent and believe. He's waiting on you to call on his name. All you have to do is reach for him. Let's pray.